pattern is a discernible regularity in the world, right? A pattern has the elements that repeat in a predictable manner. We've been talking about Paul, and, and in 2 Timothy, Paul's looking back on his life, about to be executed unjustly, but he was ready for it. He persevered. He didn't get bitter. He didn't complain because he had an eternal view of life. God created this world as a world of order, pattern, regularity, and predictability. Just think about the fact that every day there's 24 hours in a day. Every year there's a winter, spring, summer, and a fall. Have you ever thought about how crazy it is that we can come pretty close to tomorrow knowing what the the weather's going to be like? At least we're going to be able to get pretty close on the temperature. I thank God for the constantness of gravity. His gravity keeps me grounded, right? That was a joke. You didn't get it. (laughs) Right over your head. You guys are asleep already. Shoot. I am not excited about some of the things gravity is doing to my body, though, as I get older, right? It's just getting more of a blob. But gravity is a good thing. It keeps us down. Think about the order of nature, every animal and every plant reproducing after its own kind. There's amazing pattern and regularity and constantness in the world. And if we look at God's creation, we can see it all over. Here's some examples of some amazing pattern and regularity in this world that many people think is random. But we see these things in nature, and it's amazing, the creation that God has given us. But God is not a God of chaos. And if you're anything like me, it bothers you when things are out of order. It bothers you when things are inconsistent. This first one, I think, is probably the worst uh, example of that. Have you ever seen that before? Does that rub you the wrong way like it does me? Look, this society is built on laws, and we will begin to break down if we continue to do this kind of stuff. You can't do that. It's not right. Here's another one. It's just wrong. Doesn't that hurt your brain a little bit? It's like, no, you had one job to get them all right in the same way, and you messed it up. I'm tempted to eat all of them just to make it right. Here's another one that's bad. Like, this guy didn't even care. He saw that he did it wrong, and he was like, forget it. It's just the walking path, but it matters. And inconsistency bothers us. And as Paul thinks about what he needs to pass on to Timothy in the church, He sees some patterns that men and women of God are going to follow. And he also notices the problem of inconsistency. Paul had started this theme in chapter 1, what we talked about last week in verse 13. Paul said, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. He mentioned that pattern that Eunice and Lois, these strong, faithful women in the faith, had left for Timothy. And next, in chapter 2, in verse 1, it continues on. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me 
in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul says, I've taught you some things. Many people have heard me say these things, and I've tried to live these things out in my life. But Paul says it's not enough to just listen and to hear. Paul says it's not enough just to, just to be able to hear it. Instead, you have to listen to reproduce what you just heard. It's a difference between uh, listening to a, a lecture, knowing that there's going to be a test tomorrow, or listening and then getting a pop quiz, right? Because you know you're going to have to reproduce it. There's a certain amount of intentionality. We all know that kid in class that constantly asks the question, is this going to be on the test? Is this going to be on the test? Why? Because he knows he's going to listen differently if he has to reproduce it. He knows he's going to listen in a different way. Well, reproducing your faith is on the test. This is part of your commitment to Christ. See, our goal is not just to teach people. It's to teach people to teach people to teach people. Timothy had heard amazing teaching from many spiritual leaders, Barnabas, Silas, Luke, Paul. But hearing it was not enough. I heard some great things about Ed Rogers' uh, message just a couple weeks ago. But who have you told about those things that you learned? Or you don't have anybody to, to tell about? Well, then that means you're not discipling anybody. If you're not passing it on, there's something wrong. It's broken down. See, we're to hear the word and to add those things to our lives, then entrust those things to someone else so that they can hear, add them to their lives so that they can entrust those things to someone else. And Barnabas had taken Paul under his wing, and Timothy was taken under the wing of Paul. And now Timothy was supposed to continue the pattern. I say this a lot. I think you're going to get this. It's a real easy question. You ready? Fill in the blank. Make disciples that... Eh, it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. Let me try it again. Make disciples that... All right, there we go. That's what our purpose is as a church, to continue to lay out this pattern. See, it's important. And the thing about a pattern is, is it makes it easy to reproduce and to anticipate what's going to come next. Let's see if you do better on this test than you did just a second ago. All right. This is, I did pretty good on this stuff in school. Right after this, it went real downhill, though. You ready? Let's try that first one. Blue, green, oh, jeez, I'm colorblind. I see? Jeez, blue. Oh, yeah, okay, red. Red, green, red. All right, let's try the next one. Red, yellow, red. Green, red, green. Yellow, green, yellow. All right, see, you guys did good. Give yourself a round of applause, right? Amen. So what's important about that and what is important about a pattern is it lets you anticipate what is going to come next. And see, too often as a church, we try to just give you facts instead of giving you the tools to know what you're supposed to do next and live it out yourself. And next, Paul reminds Timothy about what some of those patterns look like. 
He reminds the church of Ephesus what some of those patterns look like. In verse 3, he starts to flesh this thing out. He says, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. We've all seen clips and pictures of the Queen's Guard at Buckingham Palace, right? They got these tall black fur hats and these fire engine red jackets. And they stand there at attention for two hours at a time. They don't move. They don't talk. And you could go and you could try and talk to them and ask them questions, but they're not going to talk to you. Well, that's rude, right? No, it's not rude because their aim is not to please you. Their aim is to please the queen. A good soldier is focused on his mission and his commanding officer. They don't let the normal temptations of this world, the enticements of this world, cloud their focus. Verse 5, it goes on. It says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. A good athlete wants to play by the rules so that when he wins, they can say that he did it the right way. Lance Armstrong, Barry Bonds, Tanya Harding, the 1919 Chicago White Sox. These people will never again be seen as the champions that they could have been because they didn't play the right way. They lost their integrity. In 1980, Rosie Ruiz won the Boston Marathon in the female category in 2.5 hours. But it was later revealed that she had disappeared in the crowd during the race. And then she showed up a half mile before the race was finished. She had jumped on the subway. And that's the only way that I could finish a marathon too. But these things are important, right? Integrity, character, honor, doing things the right way, that is important. Verse 6, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have his first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The farmer prepares his field three to four months before he ever sees an ear of corn. He works, he waters, he feeds, he maintains with the faith that one day he's going to see the fruit of his labor. Farmers that plant well will harvest well. They are driven in the hard time to reap in the harvest time. All three of these examples are people that are committed to something that is bigger than themselves and they're willing to endure challenges for a greater goal. Focus, integrity, drive, and diligence. We're starting to fill out a pattern of a Jesus follower, a pattern that we can learn and teach. Verse 8, I like these first three words. Remember Christ Jesus? Remember Jesus Christ? Remember that guy? He was pretty important. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Jesus is the highest example of this pattern that we should pattern our lives after. Remember Jesus? He was focused on the cross from the start. He endured the cross. He wasn't trying to please men, but God. He never once sinned. He endured temptation. He never lost his integrity. He had 
purpose. He left heaven. And for 33 years, he knew that one day he was going to reap the cross. One day he would be bound as a criminal. But then the resurrection. But then the resurrection. It made all the work, the focus, and the diligence worth it. It is finished. He came and he did what he came to do. And see, one day God is going to set everything right in your life as well. One day it will all be worth it. One day there will be a resurrection that you get to take part into. And Paul is attempting in this time in his life where it's so hard, he's attempting to be an example of this. He says, yes, I'm suffering now. And yes, it's hard right now. But one day there's going to be a resurrection. One day there will be new life. And I'm willing to delay gratification till the day that God fills in all my blanks. See, the resurrection gives us hope. Why? Because if Jesus defeated death, then it's down for the count. If Jesus crushed sin, then we don't have to look over our shoulder anymore. If the grave has lost its sting, then whom shall I fear? The resurrection gives us hope. See, the walk of a Christian is all about delayed gratification. See, it's not that you have to squash every desire that's in you. No, you just have to wait to fulfill those desires in Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, but the word of God is not bound. Paul says, I'm bound right now, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Christ had allowed himself to be bound, but he ain't bound now. Paul was bound right now, but the message of Jesus could not be bound. Paul was in prison, but the message was still being preached. Paul says, do your worst world. I'm not quitting. I'm not discouraged. I know the one who holds my future, so I'm just going to hold on to his hand. I'm ready to endure it until the day that I taste eternal glory because the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the gospel. And thinking about all this inspires Paul in a beautiful way, and he writes a wonderful, powerful poem in verse 11. He says, if we have died with him, then we will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we will trust and follow Jesus, he promises that not even uh, death can defeat us, that there is life in the face of death. But see, if we reject Jesus and choose the temporary things of this world, God will honor that decision too, and he will do the same. But see, even if we reject Jesus, it does not change the truth. He, remem he remains who he is. And that's an important thing to know. All the atheists in the world do not change who God is. All the people that reject God does not change who he is. People's faith, uh, faithlessness will never compel God to change his faithfulness. People's faithlessness will never compel God to change his faithfulness. 
fullness. God remains full of faith to us, even when others blatantly reject him in word or deed. So now we're looking at this pattern, right? Soldier, athlete, farmer, Paul, Jesus. These are patterns that we can sketch our life after. And next we see some inconsistencies, some things that occur in our patterns sometimes that need to get out of it. Verse 14, Paul tells Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but it ruins the hearer. Do you present yourself to God as one approved, a worker that has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth? Have you ever slacked off at work? Be honest. Janet just shook her head. I'm your boss. You can't tell me that. Jeez. I worked at Chuck E. Cheese. You could go ahead and laugh. (laughs) You loser. I worked at Chuck E. Cheese for a couple years after high school while I was going uh, to community college. And uh, I used to have to come in real early. I was a maintenance man, and I worked on the games, uh, filled the tickets up, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I had to clean the bathrooms. I got there about 6 o'clock. I cleaned the ball pits, uh, make sure there wasn't any needles in them and stuff like that, uh, and go up in the sky tubes and clean them, which were really gross, because you had to push yourself around on your back. Uh, That meant uh, if there was something wet, you had no idea it was coming. And uh, you, you didn't even know the rest of the day, you didn't know what it was, because you can't smell your back, right? Uh, but I used to, from time to time, uh, fall asleep in the sky tubes. I'm just going to be honest with you. It was early in the morning, and uh, I'm going to tell you, my boss did not approve. He did not approve, and I had a good reason to be embarrassed. I had a good reason to be ashamed. So does God approve of the work you're doing? Or do you have reason to be ashamed? Are you wasting this precious life that you've been given or are you sleeping on the job? Are you just sleepwalking through life? Instead, there's another way to live. Instead, we can do our best to present ourselves as people who hand out the truth when others are arguing about useless things. We can be people that work in this life as if God is watching us. Keeping the main thing the main thing. Not breaking fellowship over things that don't really matter. Rightly dividing the truth. That means to shoot straight. To don't twist your things in favor to win an argument. Have you ever uh, had someone quote you a verse in order to win an argument, a Bible verse, right? Politicians do it sometimes. They throw these verses out there like they think they know what they mean. And instead, what they're really doing is they're trying to win a silly argument. Hey, the Bible's too important for that. The Bible's too important just to use it like a club on people. But here we see these pieces of a pattern. A worker who is proud of his work. Verse 16 goes on says, but avoid irreverent babble. This is another thing that's inconsistent. Irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. I've got some pictures of gangrene right here. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. You know why? Because it's gross. And here it says these things can produce gangrene in a church. Among them, here are two people that are full of it. Among them, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. 
They are upsetting the faith of some. Vain babble, rumors, useless arguments, division, and false teaching can spread like gangrene and kill a church. And apparently Hymenaeus and Philetus took part in spreading these false teachings, and they were put out of the church. See, God takes false doctrine very seriously, and we should too. When someone tells us something we aren't sure of, the first thing that we should do is look for a chapter and a verse. The next verse goes on, 19. It says, but God's firm foundation stands. None of these things can prevail against the church or against the gospel. God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. See, children of God ought to look like God. Followers of Christ ought to look like Christ. And we need to be constantly checking ourselves for inconsistency that doesn't fit into the pattern. So here's the question. What in you doesn't fit into the pattern of a Christ follower? What in you doesn't fit? Is it your sex life? Is it how much you drink? Is it how you entertain yourself? Is it the friends that you have? Is it your generosity? What doesn't fit the pattern of a Jesus follower? Sesame Street does a little game like this. One of these things is not like the other, right? What in your life is not like the other things? What in your life does not fit? Where's the Fig Newton turned the wrong way in your life? You ought to ask your spouse. That's called accountability. Wife, what in me does not fit the pattern of a Jesus follower? You ought to ask your friends, where am I inconsistent? Be honest with me. I know you love me. I know you care about me. And, and, and the most important thing to you is that I would do what was right. What in me does not fit? Now, ideally, all these things would happen in the community, love, and accountability of a life group. But see, everyone who takes the name of Jesus Christ, what does that mean? It means you call yourself a Christian, needs to flee and run away from sin. Verse 20, here's the last piece of our pattern. It says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master's house, ready for every good work. There are honorable uh, vessels or jars in a house, like uh, the ones that are used for serving food. And then there are dishonorable vessels, like the ones that hold the garbage. And in order to be a, uh, uh, for a dishonorable vessel to be used in honor, it has to clean itself out. It has to be cleaned out and allow itself to get rid of the garbage. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to clean out our garbage so that he can use us for something amazing. See, God wants to take away the things that don't fit in to who he made you to be. A vessel. Verse 22 says, so flee youthful passion and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Run away from the things that tempt you to sin, whether it's your music, your movies, the people you surround yourself with, the places you go, anything that stirs us up 
for sin, stirs up temptation in our life, run away from it and pursue righteousness. Verse 23. It's the last passage here at the end of this chapter. I like it. It says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant, or like we used to say near Philadelphia, ignorant. Have you ever heard that? Foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. What does it mean there? It says to stay away from controversy that just starts fights. You shouldn't be known as someone that starts arguments, but rather someone that is kind to everyone, able to lay out what is right, being patient when someone else is wrong, doing our best to correct people with love. Why? Because if we do it that way, they may actually repent instead of just becoming more entrenched in their own opinions. And God be glorified in that. Paul lays out this pattern of a man or a woman of God in, in Timothy for him to see. And then he shows us some clear examples of some things that don't fit into that pattern. See, the goal is not just for Timothy to know these things, but to teach these things. To teach these things to other people so that they can teach these things. See, today you must understand that you are not here to be a student of the Bible. You are here to be a teacher of the Bible. A teacher of the Bible that teaches other teachers of the Bible. It's not just enough just to come and hear a good sermon and say, man, that was great. I learned something today. No, the point is for somehow to you to invest it into someone else. We're here to hear godly teaching, to add it to our lives and entrust those things to someone else so that they can hear and add them to their lives and entrust those things to someone else. Hear Add and trust. The worship team's going to come now. We laid out a pattern here. Soldier, athlete, farmer, worker, clean vessel, and Jesus. What does that mean? It's focus, character, drive, and diligence, faithfulness, pure, willing to sacrifice now for the hope of tomorrow. See, these are someone that is committed to do something bigger than themselves. And they're willing to endure challenges for a greater goal. So here's it. You ready? How do you fit into this pattern? How are you helping reproduce this pattern in someone else? What in your life doesn't fit into the pattern of a Jesus follower? Fathers, you thought you were going to get away without being talked about, right? Fathers, how do you fit into this pattern? How are you reproducing this pattern in someone else? And what in you does not fit the pattern of a Jesus follower? Let's stand to our feet and bow our heads. The altar's open now. No one's looking around. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.
Won't you pray this prayer right now? God, what in me doesn't look like you? That's it. Ask God that question. 